0: Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones.
1: Good evening, everybody. Tom and Keith with you. And I got to tell you, KJ, I'm feeling pretty good tonight. It's, game week. It's Game, game week. Game week, yes. game week. We've survived fall camp. And for the most part, the news has been pretty good. It looks like there's encouraging news on the offensive line or center front involving Alec Eberly for Florida State. And just tremendous positive PR for Florida State over the last 24 hours based on uh, the actions of one Travis
2: Rudolph. Uh, And I guess I'll start there. So anyway, it's it's a it's a good week to talk football. Good week to talk Knowles. Listeners know that I'm not big into social media, twittering and tweeting and Facebooking and all that. But but God, you're exactly right. The, The things that are going on for us that are not plugged in are enough for those of us that are not plugged in to know what's going on. And uh, that specifically being uh, Travis and his uh, uh, extracurricular activities relative to community service. Uh, Hats off. Just hats off. It's been wonderful.
1: Well, and the good news for people like yourself who are not plugged in is that when something goes viral, you don't have to be on social media anymore. You can just watch mainstream old school media and you'll be aware of the story, which is the case And if you're somehow been under a rock and not aware of the story, there were several football players that visited uh, Munford Middle School yesterday here in town, Travis Rudolph being one of them. And there was a boy sitting by himself at lunch, uh, an autistic child, and Travis went over and sat next to him and and a a terrific photo was snapped. And later his mom uh, had a very heartfelt post on Facebook that went viral. And and FSU's got a ton of... uh, Positive press about this, and uh, we're going to continue that conversation because uh, the the child's name is Bo, but his mom Leah Paskey will join us in our next segment to to talk a little bit about what the last
2: twenty-four hours has been like. And again, to reiterate how you set that up, you've got a child literally sitting by themselves during lunch. Uh, Travis is there to do some other things. I mean, he's not there to eat lunch with anybody, based on the stories I've read and what I know. He takes it upon himself to just go sit down with no fanfare. Nobody prompt him. there's no teachers. There's no counselors. Uh, He just of his own as a 21, uh, 22-year-old young man sits down with a youngster and just befriends him. I'm reminded, Tom, I I could make a long story out of it, but I'll make it short. I had the opportunity to pick up Coach Grant Taft one time at the uh, airport in Tallahassee. He was speaking to an FCA group, former head coach at Baylor. And we had about 30 minutes before we needed to go where we wanted to go. And he said, take me to the mall which I thought was an absolutely crazy thing to do, but I did. I took him to Governor's Mall. We got out. We went to the courtyard, and all he did is went around and visited with children. He found one particular youngster, which is disabled, and in a wheelchair, and he spent about 10 minutes just talking to that youngster. And he said, all right, Mr. Jones, let's go. We got back in the car. We went to our event. That's similar to what Travis did, and that's heartwarming. Jimbo was asked about it
1: afterwards and his quote sort of says it all and and though it sounds obvious I think a lot of times we take this for granted and it basically what he said is you know you can positively or negatively affect somebody through 5 minutes of your day every day of the week every week of the year that sort of thing I'm paraphrasing there but the message is simple so congrats to Travis Rudolph we look forward to that conversation uh, next segment also our seminals.com insider Tim Lenefelt will join us that's when we'll talk a little bit more about Alec Eberly and the depth chart, which was released uh, this week for and a Florida couple of, State. Not
2: changes, but a couple of things that I didn't see coming. We'll talk about that when we talk about. Well, the we, depth can, chart, we can we can plant.
1: Interesting. Yeah, we can plant the seed momentarily. I do want to quickly uh, give a shout out to our good friends at uh, Madison Social. You know, not only are we less than a week away from FSU's first football game, but we're less than a week away from FSU's first appearance on Showtime on Tuesday night at ten. And if you have not uh, subscribed to Showtime and don't plan to. Uh, you can head to Madison Social for the viewing party of a season with. And for better, for worse, and you knew this when you got into it, there have been some interesting uh, plot twists, shall we say, as there would be at any football program. But in the last three weeks alone, we've had a guy that was in the battle to be starting quarterback go down with an injury in Sean McGuire. We've had uh, another quarterback in the mix get suspended indefinitely. And now we've had a strength coach who's we don't know what the status will be for Vic Valoria, but obviously that was a lot of negative press for FSU over the weekend. Uh, so there's not going to be a shortage of things to choose from for Showtime in this initial show. It's
2: going to be hard for them to get all that into an hour, <laughs> at least in
1: the first week. Yes, considering that there's going to be a game to unfold, too. And, I, you know, actually, I don't know. Is it an hour or is it a half hour? I'm not even sure. Either way. Either way. Either way. That's an awful lot of tape that they will have shot. Since considering they were around in spring practice, too, uh, there's going to be an awful lot left on the cutting room floor. Okay, uh, so anyway, Madison Social—the place to go to to check that out. If you don't subscribe to uh, Showtime, and uh, thanks to Matt Thompson and the folks at uh, at Madso for their continued support of the front row depth chart things. You want to plant a little seed here before we get into this. What uh... we, knew,
2: we knew that uh, Tavares would probably win at the uh, at the corner position opposite of White. Uh, so we thought that that would mean that uh, you know the the youngster competing with him would be a backup, and lo and behold, with Nate Andrews being out, Trey Marshall being at the other Marshall, uh, other uh, safety rather, you've got both of the corners that were competing opposite of White probably starting, given the fact that Florida State will spend a lot of time against Ole Miss in, in the five defensive backs, the four to five set. Uh, I thought that interesting, and we were, I was wrong. Logan Tyler probably won't be handling all of the place-kicking uh, chores. That probably will be Aguayo. Uh, Logan will be punting and handling kickoff duties. Uh, I found that a little interesting, again, based on the information we'd gotten during the week. Well, he's got a
1: tremendous leg, and we knew that. What I didn't know, and recruit Knicks would would have known this, but listening to Jimbo talk on Monday, I wasn't aware that Logan played every other position and really has only been kicking – for the past year or so, which would tell me that that curve is still going to trend upward, and there's a lot of room for improvement,
2: a lot of upside. And again, that doesn't take anything away from Guayo, uh, which, by the way, his brother had a nice outing for a change in, in the last Bucks game. Uh, Ricky, uh, that is, or, or Roberto rather, uh, six for six on his kicks. For, That's
1: number for, two yeah. on the mix-ups of Ricky and Roberto. Oh,
2: I'm. I'm wait till I call him. Uh, Just call know, him Guayo. Wait till I call him Lucy. <laughs> lucy what are you up to <laughs> well <laughs> for ricky <laughs> i, I, I thank you for connecting the dots
1: I, and my wife laura has always wanted a dog named lucy so she could walk in and say hey yet lucy. You, and
2: yet you ended and up yet with, i still didn't connect the and dodges. yet you ended up with one
1: named benet or it,
2: it, beignet it's or called
1: what? have you ever been to new orleans Shut it's up. called move benet. on, it's, move not on. it's a biscuit it's a biscuit it's more than just a biscuit man the New Orleans Convention and Visitors Bureau will not be using you to advocate for people to go visit the Big Easy. <laughs> the most interesting thing I saw on the depth chart is that the word or is on a bunch there, of them approximately a bunch of them. 46 times, which means either Jimbo is having some fun with the media by just listing co starters and co backups across the board. More than that, it probably means, in my opinion, that there's a good situation there because you've got good, steady competition and good options. You could look at it the other way and say nobody really distinguished themselves, and so all these guys are sort of tied for last or tied for you know,
2: second to last as opposed to being tied the other way. But we know one thing about Jimbo going into what is now his seventh year as the head coach of Florida State. If practices had not been going well, we would have known about it. And practices would not have been going well if not everyone had been rising and getting better during uh, fall camp and now into this first week of prep. So uh, I'm going to err on the side that there's been great competition. That's the reason for the oars as opposed to there's been mediocre competition and they don't know who to play. Well said. We will uh, continue as we're just getting warmed up here. Tim
1: Linnefelt will join us. We'll talk more on the field news. But uh, coming up in our next segment, uh, the story that went viral involving Travis Rudolph – and Bo Paskey. Bo's mom, Leah Paskey, will join us next when we come back on the front row.
0: The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 97.9 ESPNradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: We welcome you back to The Front Row. Tom and Keith back with you and as we mentioned uh, at the top of the program and as you're well aware if you're listening to this show you follow Florida State and Uh, unless you were clearly under a rock, you know about the story involving Travis Rudolph yesterday uh, and what he did at a local middle school in terms of uh, sitting down to have lunch with a boy who was sitting by himself. That boy was Bo Paskey, who is autistic, and his mom uh, had a really heartfelt Facebook post about that uh, later in the day, and it went viral, and she is kind enough to join us right now. So uh, welcome, Leah Paskey. Uh, Thanks so much for taking some time to join Keith and I. No,
3: thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, reaching out to me. It's awesome.
1: Well, and, uh, you know, it's amazing. You never know what's going to go viral, and, and certainly this was. A, it's been a tremendous 24 hours, I would think, for you and for Bo. So I guess my first question would be, when did you first see the picture or become aware of what happened yesterday?
3: I actually got sent the picture by a friend that works here at the school. He's the um, school resource deputy um, at the Leon County Sheriff's Office, but they're positioned in each school, and I, I've known him for a long time. I actually work for the Sheriff's Office in the accounting department. And he sent me the picture, and he said, Travis Rudolph is um, eating lunch with your son, and sent the picture. And I said, who is that? Because I love FSU, but I, you know, ashamedly haven't been following the players that much this year. And he said, uh, FSU football player? So I Googled it and immediately saw who he was and just started, you know, crying because I see he's the star wide receiver. And I'm just so humbled and honored that he would be kind enough to take a few minutes to sit with my son I'm just so grateful
1: and when you got home and talked or whenever you talked to Bo after the encounter uh, what did he have to say about it
3: he was so excited he said he said mom he said it was awesome he sat. he told me he sat with Travis and Travis signed his lunchbox and he just thought that the experience in talking to him was he asked him if he was in the NFL and Travis told him not yet uh, so, um, just the exchange, um, was, it meant so much to Bo. He was so proud to show me the signature on the lunchbox and, um, uh, the team has reached out and offered for Bo to have dinner with them. And he is so excited about meeting the whole team. He can't even stand it. It's been great.
2: Leah, tell us a little bit about Bo, about about the, some of the difficulties that are associated with his condition and, and, and how he's doing uh, academically in school, uh brag on brag on your youngster a little bit to us
3: yeah um well actually fortunately uh autism spectrum disorder can um, present in a in a huge um, variety of ways and fortunately he happens to be on the higher end of the spectrum so it means he functions more at a normal level than some people with autism so he's able to um, function in a typical classroom he's able to for the most part keep up with the assignments and um, you know, the instruction and comprehension part and his grades are, are pretty good. There's a few areas he struggles with, mostly reading comprehension, but um, he, he overall he does pretty good at, at keeping up. The, the problem comes in with the social part. He, he doesn't necessarily have the same social skills and carry the same kind of conversation that a typical child has. So that's where some of the difficulties come in.
2: Well, you have a a great connection that you may not even be aware of, and that's with the the voice of Florida State football in Gene Deckerhoff. He has an autistic grandson uh, that I've had the opportunity to visit with Gene and talk about the challenges associated with that. And I know as a a caregiver, a mom, a granddad, whatever the case may be, there there are challenges associated with that, but there's some great rewards when you see progress and and improvement uh, from your youngster as well.
3: Yes, definitely, and actually I was telling somebody this morning in a little bit of an interview I've just seen, um, just in this year alone in the last couple weeks, with him being back in an environment with so many kids, you know, in his peer circle, just improvements in some of his conversational skills and noticing things that that I that he didn't do before that he's doing now just in the social aspect, so that's been huge for me and just seeing the growth in, in that, so I'm... Um, I'm so grateful for this. This is a fantastic school, and he really does. I actually handpicked it for him to come here. The kids are super um, kind to him, um, and I'm not sure why he sits, you know, alone. Um, it's probably about 50-50, and I'm not sure why he sits alone on those days. Um, but there are kids here that reach out to him and are kind of protective of him. So I definitely didn't want people to think that the school you know allowed him to be bullied or left out cuz this is actually a fantastic school. I just I just worry on the days that he sits alone. So
1: Well, and that's part of the job of being mom uh and and certainly you shared that uh, very very well last night. What what resources have you used or leaned on around town or around Tallahassee or regionally for that matter uh to to help with therapy and that sort of thing?
3: Um I've done I've been to the um it's TMH has a therapy outlet, and he's, we've been there a couple of times, um, but his doctor really didn't think that he needed um, any more, like, speech therapy or occupational therapy at this point. Um, but he's done, when he was in school, in elementary school, they did some um, social therapy and put him in some social situations to work on his conversation skills with peers. So that's that's kind of what he's done, and they provided that in school. So that was nice
1: what should uh, should folks be aware of that I feel like you know it's human nature that uh, we have a fear of the unknown and if you don't have an autistic child or or on around one you don't necessarily know how to act or how to handle it so what's something that people should be aware of uh, when they interact with autistic children
3: you know that uh, uh, that is a really good question and I think probably the biggest thing is when they see somebody who's autistic and they sometimes they tend to have um, stems, or or or, or uh, what do you call them? Like ticks, where you flap your hands, or maybe make weird noises with your mouth. And sometimes kids don't really understand what that is, and maybe they think um, that whoever it is they're speaking to may not be able to talk to them and and um, have a friendship with them like a typical child. But really, his heart and his spirit is the same as the typical children. He just and and Bo in particular is so. Lovey. He's got a hug for everybody he meets. So I just I, I hope that that people can if they see somebody that's a little different, not necessarily think that they can't have the same kind of friendship with them as, as somebody who is, is looks more like them or acts more like them because they really they're really the same.
2: Well, Leah, I know I know in the last twenty four hours your world has gotten very, very busy. Give us a little snapshot of what you've been up to uh, uh, this morning and, 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 and things that are scheduled going forward.
3: Yes, definitely. It's been crazy. Um just kind of I've had been contacted by most of the major um, news outlets um, and offered for interviews and skype you know interviews and camera crews. and um actually, Sport Center has called and invited us to the game on Monday, so. They want to do an interview on Monday in Orlando. Um, So it's just kind of been a whirlwind and super overwhelming, but I'm so grateful and appreciative of the attention and spreading spreading the story. I've been, the biggest part was just overwhelmed and humbled by the amount of people that are sending stories saying, hey, I have an autistic child too, and this story gives me hope that, you know, that kindness can be spread and more awareness can be spread, so maybe people will be more kind to my child in turn. And I love that. That's been the part that's been the most special for me.
1: You mentioned that uh, obviously you're an FSU fan but didn't necessarily know who Travis Rudolph was. I'm curious, has Bo been to an FSU football game?
3: He has not. He has not. They've offered to um, – Sports Center is sending us to the game on Monday, so that'll be his first game, and he's so excited about it.
1: I suspect we can make one happen at Doe Campbell too before this year's over. What's yes. that what's that moment gonna be like for you?
3: Um, I'm I'm positive it will be very emotional. But I'm I'm so excited and grateful for the opportunity and I will be mostly just excited to see how he interacts with the team. It's just gonna be so exciting for him.
1: Well, thank you for sharing the story and uh, I know you've been very busy today with all those calls and media outlets that uh are, are tracking you down but uh, we really wanted to have you on uh, not not for the florida state uh aspect of it but more for the uh informing the general public if you will ab- about uh autism and uh so if there's anything else you'd like to add I'll, I'll give you that form but thank you so much for joining us
3: okay you're welcome i'm happy to be here thanks
2: for the invite no, we'll look forward to maybe seeing you along with about uh 60, other people down in orlando on monday night
3: that would be awesome thanks so much
1: all righty, that is uh, Leah Paskey, uh, mom of Bo, and uh, what a story in the last 24 hours. Uh, good to see positive news being talked about, and and not just because it's associated with Florida State, but, uh, you know, I come from a news background, and uh, the old expression, it bleed, if it bleeds, it leads. And when you look at uh, news websites and even sports news websites, matter of fact, I did this last night, and uh, I don't remember if it was ESPN or what website it was, but literally it was 10 college football stories and every headline, save for the Travis Rudolph one, was player suspended, player arrested, player accused, player this, player that, and it gets overwhelming.
2: And remember too that this is this was done. Uh, obviously, the kids were at Monford. There were four of them, three other teammates, along with Travis, for a scheduled community service event. That's great, but remember, this interaction was totally on Travis's part, with no cameras, no microphones, no prompting, no prompting, nobody there to record um kind of special
1: yeah it, it really was so good work by travis rudolph and uh, again leah thank you uh for your time and uh folks if you haven't taken the t- you probably know the story if you haven't taken the time to find the facebook post go do that read what uh, she had to say about the whole encounter uh truly good good stuff tim Linnefelt uh, always says uh, good good stuff for us he's our seminoles.com insider we will get him on the horn when we continue right after this on the front row.
0: Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones.
1: The front row with our Seminoles.com insider, Tim lenefeld Seminoles.com, the only place to go to catch Jimbo Fisher's post game press conferences following home games, streamed live. Also catches Monday press availability when he meets the media. Tim, how are you?
4: I'm good, Tom. How are you doing?
1: Great. He met the media earlier this week, did Jimbo? And I'm not sure there was anything too earth shattering uh, out of that. Keith and I have, uh, well, you know what? Before I get into that, let's just let's put the uh, the punctuation mark at the end of this story about Travis Rudolph because we just had uh, Leah on, Leah Paskey, Bo's mom, and obviously I know you wrote a story on Seminoles.com today, everybody did, about what Travis Rudolph did yesterday. I guess to me, I, I wasn't necessarily aware that Travis Rudolph did that much community service, and, and you know he was quoted as saying he loves doing it, that sort of thing. What can you add from that standpoint? Because I know you spoke to Travis uh, after practice yesterday.
4: Yeah, it's really been a concerted effort over the last a little while but it really I've seen it more this year since maybe January or so than before with getting guys out in the community they've been to a lot of different high schools i got a handful handfuls of different players sort of a rotation of players went to different high schools all around Tallahassee talked to some football teams and did like Q&A sessions where the players could raise their hands ask questions what it's like to get you know to play in college football what to take to get to college football that sort of thing and then i think those guys really kind of enjoyed that i think there's something about being looked up to by, by other people, especially other football players that maybe resonated with some of those guys. Uh, and then it moved on to the, the middle schools and the elementary schools. And yesterday you saw what happened in, in the elementary, or excuse me, in the middle schools. And, and from everything I've been able to gather, I wasn't there. I've been talking to some people who were there and some folks who organized. it. The, the moment there with Travis and Bo was completely organic. He noticed them on his own, went over and sat on his own, and everything just sort of happened naturally, which is you know, neat to see.
2: Have you seen a story in the last 6, 12, 18 months related to Florida State that, that went as viral as quickly as this one, whether it be a negative part or even a positive part?
4: No, I really haven't. And to be quite honest with you, I'm, I'm fairly surprised. You know, we were sort of talking about you know what we wanted to do with it last night and whether we should put something up in the evening or wait until this morning. And I'm, I'm glad that we did it last night because I had no idea that it would blow up the way that it did. I saw links from Good Morning America and Mike and Mike and all those guys, it really became uh, a national story in, in extremely short order. It's something that I certainly wouldn't have anticipated. But uh, again, like you said, it, it, it's cool to see him getting some recognition for that sort of
1: thing. Well, and oh, by the way, Travis Rudolph figures to have a pretty good year on the field, too. So, uh, you know, we just finished talking to Leah, and she let us know that ESPN has invited them to the game on Monday night, so they'll be there. That's uh, oh, cool. It's, it's going to get quite the TV story uh on monday you know and and oh by the way bo's never been to an fsu football game either so i mean it's going to get blown up and and blown out on on labor day night and so it'd be pretty fitting if travis went out and had about nine catches for 180 yards and two sort of did what he did in the peach ball i mean we could do that again right
4: yeah i think so that's that's the standard now right
1: yeah exactly in all seriousness about the receivers now i'll go back to the depth chart uh stuff that i was going to ask you about uh i don't recall seeing the two-letter word or on a depth chart quite as frequently as on the uh, current edition uh, of what FSU released earlier this week. Keith and I are of the opinion that it's a good thing, meaning that there, there's a lot of really tremendous competition, and so it literally is even for that reason, not for the other, which would be that nobody has stepped forward, and so everybody's down the bottom, tied for last, if you will. But what's your take on that?
4: I tend to agree with you guys. I think they were. Like, the final count on the on the oars was 18 and to me, you have to look into the context, especially when you talk about their receivers. If we know Travis Rudolph is going to start, we know that Bobo Wilson, for all intents and purposes, is going to start. If not, he's going to play a lot. Same goes for Kermit Whitfield. So when you see all those oars for a player like NyQuan Murray, who had a really strong camp and drew a lot of positive reviews, or Auden Tate, who was so good in the spring, it, to me it just means that they have a lot of options there and that everybody's going to play. I think you could say the same thing in the secondary. Where it looks like Tavares McFadden has emerged uh, at that cornerback spot outside of, uh, or, excuse me, opposite of Marquise White, but they still have big plans for Marcus Lewis. He's listed there at the star, and, and you're going to see those guys play a lot. So uh, it, it could go either way, but I think given the context of the roster and what we know about its makeup, it just means that they're going to have deep rotations at, at a lot of different places.
2: I couldn't get Marcus, uh, uh, Marcus Lewis's rather name out uh, in the first segment when I was talking about people opposite of Tavares. Uh, Nate Andrews probably won't play, which is what's necessitated Trey Marshall, who would normally start at the star to move back to safety and, and put Lewis over at that star position. But like the wide receivers, that secondary still has some great backups, uh, even if they have to go to the dime package or rotations, correct?
4: Absolutely. And I think it's it's going to be like the receivers in reverse, if you will, that they can just use different lineups based on what the opponents are doing based on the opposing personnel. There might be some times when they like Trey Marshall back at, the, at safety and, and want to keep Mark at the star. There might be some times when they want to get Nate out there and, and, and move Trey down to the star and maybe slide Marcus Lewis to the the, the money or the dimes position or or if it's Levante Taylor going there. They just they have so many, so many players that it's you know, one of the biggest issues facing Charles Kelly, I think, is how do you put all these guys on the field and how do you maximize them? But I think he'd probably say it's a good problem to have.
1: Yeah, I think they'd all take that problem. But, you know, honestly, when you look at the depth almost across the board, every position coach could say that. Even, you know, there's been years when they've been a little thin at running back, which is uh, in terms of numbers. And even losing one in the off season. that's not the case there for Randy Sanders there. In the, I mean, or Jay Graham in the backfield. Uh, offensive line numbers are strong. Uh, it's strange that the quarterback position would be the one that uh, seems to be the most frail right now. Now, as you know from uh, your weekly appearances here, Keith has said from the get-go that Sean McGuire will be available in emergency duty. In emergency. Are you of that opinion as well now that we've seen him back at practice a little bit?
4: I am, and, and that's just based on my own observations to him and, and knowing what, how much it means to him. I would be stunned if he's not in uniform uh, on Monday night, and I would be equally surprised if, if, like you said, it wasn't some sort of an emergency capacity. One, they kind of need him. And two, you know he's going to tell him that he's ready to go and that he wants to do it. Uh, And if it's a matter of of him going in and, and turning around and handing the ball off to Dalvin Cook or maybe throwing a few short routes, I I think he absolutely is in line for something, a a role like that.
2: But the reality of this game, I think, has hit all of us square in the mouth because what? Just 24 hours ago, uh, Teddy Bridgewater blew out his knee for the Minnesota Vikings. So, and he did it in a non-contact drill. Uh, when he wasn't even hit so so the the prospect of your starting quarterback whoever he is getting injured uh at least is always on your forefront and then you see what happens to Bridgewater it becomes right in the middle of the square of your eyes absolutely so
4: uh, it it, depth is always gonna you can never have enough depth uh certainly at quarterback and we saw for a little bit there uh, at Florida State when Sean McGuire wasn't at practice it it got a little hairy there so it's definitely encouraging to see him out there I don't think I don't think he's 100% by any means, but is he, is he okay enough to get out there and 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 at least be serviceable? It looks like it's trending that direction.
1: Yeah, the one area you have to caution against is is speeding that back too much, and then it becomes a lingering thing, and now all of a sudden, instead of a healthy Sean McGuire week three, we've got a Sean McGuire that's sort of gimpy all season long, and we have these same fears. So uh, I trust that they're managing that well. So the biggest question probably is – uh, not necessarily who's taking the snaps, but who's snapping the football right now, particularly because for all that Ole Miss lost last year, defensive line in the middle especially is very, very good and stout for Ole Miss. So do we think at this point that Alec Eberly will be in there, and what is the update on Everly?
4: The last we heard was from Jimbo Fisher last night after practice where he said that, that Alec's problem, uh, they, they feared that it was concussion-related. He said it's actually migraine-related. Uh, and then he didn't have a concussion, so that's good news. They expect him out in the next day or so, and if he trends that way, uh, then you would expect him to play on Monday night. You, you wish he could have maybe practiced a little more this last week, but he's an experienced guy, and I think they would go with him. Uh, and one of the interesting wrinkles of the last couple of weeks is that with Alec Everly out and Corey Martinez also out with an injury, uh, Andrew Baselli, the freshman, and of course the son of Tony Baselli, has gotten just about all the reps with the first team offensive line, and he had a lot of a lot of good things to say about him. I mean, look, it's a tall order to be a, a freshman on that offensive line. But if anybody's been around the game his whole life and knows maybe the ins and outs of, the, of
2: playing the offensive line, it's probably him. The one thing that's also encouraging about Elberly's situation is it's it's not like he's coming back from surgery or coming back from a sprain or a strain. I mean, he, he was held out for precautionary reasons. I'd, I've never suffered from migraines, but generally speaking, once you're over them, you're right back to being 100% yourself. So that may be, a, if there is such a thing, a little better prognosis than if it was a lingering concussion-related thing.
4: Sure. I think, again, the the, the big thing everybody was wondering is, did he have a concussion? And, and if so, what's the, what's the update there? But again, Jimbo Fisher said yesterday they they, they did fear with a concussion. It turned out not to be. So that has to be considered positive.
1: I want to go back to what you just said about Baselli because Jimbo was glowing in his praise of him yesterday and I'm sure that he's very very talented and as a matter of fact this freshman offensive line class which will probably all be starting together in a year or two is going to be pretty tremendous but was that Jimbo building up the confidence of a freshman in case he has to play or is that legitimate to the point that we might get to the midseason and Baselli could be pushing Eberly and Martinez for that starting center spot?
4: I would be surprised if, if he pushed for a starting job on his own. It wouldn't surprise me necessarily if he was could emerge as the number two by the end of the season. But, but Alec Everly, I think, is so much more experienced And you saw the weight that he put on uh, over the offseason. He looks like a, a, a top-rate college center now. The form, I think maybe he looks a little bit lighter. But I, I think Andrew Buscelli could be, certainly be the number two uh, before too terribly long, and they haven't really had a, a clear-cut number two at that position for a while anyway. Uh, so
2: that wouldn't surprise me at all.
1: I put on some weight this off season too by the way, so I feel like i'm I'm bulked up already yeah
2: but but once again, I outdid you speaking of
1: bulking up <laughs> hey, dalvin cook you know it's been talked about that he added ten or twelve pounds. is there any concern at all that he is a i won't say lost a step but might be a tad slower at a heavier weight
4: i I don't think so from from what I've been able to observe and look, it's really hard to gauge Dalvin cook because. Nobody's hitting him in practice. Uh, nobody, you know, it's, it's not exactly full speed when he runs, and it's hard to simulate game speed that way. But uh, he looks like Dalvin to me. He looks just as fast as I've seen, and, and, and more than that, the way that he's able to to cut behind the line and change direction and find those holes, uh, it, it looks plenty familiar when I saw it. We won't know for sure. I don't think for n- until another couple of days pass. But just based on what little we've been able to gather, I'm, I'm not concerned about that.
2: All right, Tim, we're all, we're all hyped. Uh, we're on Wednesday night before a Monday night uh, kick in the opener. Uh, Florida State's going to win this thing 112 to nothing. Um, but, but what <laughs> do we need to be worried about? What's in the back of your mind saying uh, that, that there are continuing things or a thing or two that are most uh, negative as you approach uh, this old miss ball game?
4: Well, I kind of wonder if Ole Miss has gotten enough credit locally. I mean, they did lose three first-round picks and a, and a bunch of other draft picks, but they still recruited really, really well over there. Uh, Chad Kelly, I think, is uh, a, a nice quarterback. I mean, he can throw the ball really well through for more than 4,000 yards and 31 touchdowns, but he can also run a lot. And He had 500 rushing yards, and I want to say 10 touchdowns on the ground. That's going to be a pretty unique test for for Florida State's defense early in the season, not to say that they can't handle it, certainly not say they couldn't handle it, Athletically, but, but this early in the season, if anybody's you know, taking some time to find their feet or, or to come together and gel with new combinations, uh, it, it could be a challenge to slow him down early on. And then on the other side, look at, at Marquise Haynes, their defensive end, uh, is, is a guy who had double-digit sacks a year ago, has a lot of expectations on him this year. So I'm curious to see what exactly they do with him. Do you, you, you line him up across from Roderick Johnson, in which case you, you have a matchup between two potential All-Americans and, and maybe first-round draft picks. Or do you move him to the other side and put him up against somebody like, it looks like Rick Leonard at that right tackle spot, who's going to be making his first appearance as an offensive lineman and getting up against a potential All-American defensive end? The matchup, that bears watching, I think.
1: Well, it does, and I don't know enough about his strengths and weaknesses individually to know, do you you put him over Leonard? That would... uh... In a vacuum seemed to be a smart play but then Jimbo would turn around and they'd work the other side of the field more and you'd eliminate it from the mix a lot of times so it's gonna be an interesting chess match between these two uh the the kicking situation uh, appears to have played itself out and I know we went back and forth on this uh, early on it seemed like early on in camp it seemed like the reports were some good some bad regarding accuracy with the kickers uh, but then I, and I don't know if it was just Jimbo coach speak or if they actually became more consistent but what's your sense of for how that uh, looks right now?
4: I think it's better than it was at the start of a fall camp. I, it's just hard to get a sense of it. And sometimes, to be honest with you, it can be hard from from your vantage point uh, on the sideline if the officials aren't there to tell if a kick actually went in or not. And then there's usually not a whole lot of reaction. So I, short answer is is I don't know. I think, I do think it's gotten better. Whereas early in camp, it was sort of an adventure for both Ricky Aguayo and Logan Tyler as for who was going to be, you know, where the ball was going to end up. Um, so it looks like it's got maybe a little bit more consistent, but I do think that that's going to be something to keep your eye on. Like we got so used to the last few years, both with Dustin Hopkins and Roberto Aguayo, picking you know, kicking at an All-American level right out right out of the gate, uh, that you know maybe I guess the uh, the adventures of, of uh, more more typical college kicking that we've seen in recent years uh, that that could be around a little bit. And while those guys you know, get used to the college game and, and get used to everything that they have to do to perform at a high level.
1: I'm looking at the depth chart, and and in terms of kick returns, it's Kermit and Ryan Green, I guess. But punt return, there's three guys, and that that two letter word or is there. So who's going to be the uh, first string punt returner?
4: I still think it probably start off with uh, with with Bobo Wilson, but I won't be surprised by in by for too long. Maybe even week two when they get some guys in there. If Levante Taylor settled in back there, you just your guys say what a, what a, a dynamic player he is with the ball in his hands. I've heard more than one person that he reminds him of Greg Reed with the way that he moves and the way that he sees the field so uh, you know maybe maybe when they when they get home against Charleston Southern and, and get a chance to get uh, some guys in different looks in different places uh, he could be a guy that could maybe take over there
1: all righty Tim good stuff as always uh, travel stay safe to Orlando and uh, thank goodness the season is finally here yeah guys we'll see you down there all right Tim Linnefeldt our Seminoles.com insider is uh, we finally have on-field news to talk about Keith not I'm that, excited. Have not I that I don't that, enjoy I'm talking excited. to you every week, but, uh, you know, this is better. Football is better than than no football, in case you're wondering. Brilliant. We'll come back and, uh, and talk more football right after this on the front row. No dog
0: has in the classroom. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: For Florida State Football Talk now, Tom and Keith back with you on The Front Row. And KJ, I'm going to be honest, Chad Kelly scares me a little bit. The whole proposition of having a, an experienced quarterback, uh, that that's a check mark in the old Miss corner there. Now, Florida State's defense is going to be very good, and that secondary is very good. But, but having somebody that's been to war, so to speak, and as good as I think Francois is going to be, you just don't know at this point.
2: Their quarterback situation is a known commodity. Florida State's quarterback situation, not so much. The thing I worry about, particularly with an overly talented group like this defensive unit for Florida State is that they try to do too much. Uh, I told a group of boosters last night that the biggest thing that this 2016 defense needs to do is play as a unit. They are so supremely talented that if they get into the the mindset that I need to do more than my job, then they're going to take a step to the left when they should go to the right. They're going to try to overcompensate for something that's not there. They're going to chase ghosts. Coach Fisher talks all the time about eye discipline. They're going to be looking for things that aren't there, and they're going to see things. They're uh, falling that rat trap that, that Jimbo talks about. Right, That's the fear I have early on with this defense. Will they play as a unit? If they do, If they will just do their job and then let the plays come to them, then they can keep Kelly uh, in the pocket more. They can keep him from running less, and they'll be much better off. If they get a little excited or if there's some big plays early by Ole Miss and these players that are just getting into these starting roles think they've got to do too much, then this Florida State defense will not play well early on. Uh, That's my biggest fear. Will they play as a unit and not try to just be the superstars that they are. And it's a good point. And you're speaking specifically to
1: this game. I think back to 2014, which was a very talented defense, individual by individual, but collectively, uh, you know, was not as good as what the sum of the parts there uh, should have been. But I, I think from a leadership standpoint, I remember, it felt like there were sort of competing factions. Jalen Ramsey was trying to lead as an underclassman, and you had some seniors ready for the NFL, and not everybody was on the same page. This year's team, from a leadership standpoint, I don't think there's any question that it's DeMarcus Walker as leader number one and Derwin James, maybe 1A, because he's an underclassman. But I, so I, my point is, and we'll have to see how it unfolds, I don't think DeMarcus is going to have any of that competing agenda stuff. And I understand what you're talking about isn't just competing agenda, some of it is just. Uh, you know, eye discipline and those kind and of things. And I like
2: things like you got Christmas and, and Naughty in, in the middle, and I haven't specifically checked, but they're juniors and seniors. Met. One of them may be a fifth-year senior. These are older guys. They're not young pups. So they've seen – uh, Florida State put defenses out there with great talent that didn't play as a unit. They understand because they've been in the program for a while what it means to take care of your assignment and then if there's a play to be made to make it. Uh, you know, I, I, I think about a Matthew Thomas who who I'm not ready to declare is fully back and, and is you know within good graces within the fold. I think he's still got some uh, contrition that I want to see from him. But here's a guy that has had nothing but negatives. And he's going to get his first opportunity on a national stage to prove who he is. And and maybe he has made a life change, and there's been an adjustment. And and then, of course, I look back at Trey Marshall, uh, you know, and, and when he's in, Nate Andrews, who's played in 41 games. I mean – I'm probably, hopefully, fearful of something that that Coach Kelly would look at me in the eye and tell me I'm an idiot over, that these guys know what it means to play as a unit. But there's enough mix of these old guys that should know how to do it that that maybe I am crying wolf a little bit.
1: Well, first games always scare me, too, because you have the, the ability to add wrinkles that haven't been there. No matter how much tape Jimbo and Charles Kelly have watched, Hugh Freeze and company will have a couple new wrinkles in there. And Jimbo will have some new wrinkles, too, and you just don't know. As you get further into the season, it's it's harder to introduce new wrinkles because you're wasting practice time on the other things that you need to be good at. I'm, I'm very excited to see Matthew Thomas. I'd say the two guys I want outside of Francois, uh, I'm really interested to see Matthew Thomas, who has reportedly been a different guy and will be a difference maker if that's true because he can flat-out run. Uh, and Nyquan Murray because and I know Nyquan Murray is not the 6'5 receiver everybody's clamoring for but Nyquan Murray is a guy that can make you miss and Florida State hasn't had a shifty change of direction kind of receiver uh, in a while now I mean I'm I'm sort of racking my brain I mean Kermit's got wheels even Rashad Green he could outrun you but he wasn't going to put his foot in the ground and 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 make a little Houdini move as Gene would call it And I'm not saying Naquan's going to be Peter Warwick, who probably was the ultimate at that, but I think it will be fun to see that.
2: And certainly uh, the opportunity when they go four wide to have the three known commodities, and then whether you use Murray or you use Tate or you use whoever, you know, you've got four guys in that setup that, that can really put pressure on a defense. And if there's one area of Ole Miss that you'd have to, if you look at Ole Miss, you'd have to say their offense is better than their defense. I think, early on because of Kelly. Right. Well, the deficiency within that defense is in their front line. I mean, the strength of that defense is in the front seven. There are some deficiencies in that secondary that, <coughs> pardon me, that you may be able to take advantage of, particularly now that you've got uh, the ability to push the field and, and, and to pressure them as much as you may when you've got four receivers of that quality out there. So let's talk Dalvin Cook. Because it's not as simple as just turn
1: and hand the ball to Dalvin and and watch him run. Because obviously Ole Miss is pretty aware of Dalvin Cook. They've looked at a lot of tape of him. And Jimbo will scheme so that, uh, uh, you know, Dalvin will have some opportunities. We've talked a lot about how you and I think that his touches will be down this year. Not necessarily his yards per, per carry. And maybe he'll catch the ball some more. But just we'd rather see him get 18 to 20 touches as opposed to 25 to 27 or whatever the numbers were last year.
2: But how do you think Dalvin does against this defense? I think Dalvin will go slow. I think I think if I'm the defensive coordinator for Ole Miss, I'm putting seven and eight in the box, and I don't let Dalvin Cook beat me. I make that freshman with his first start and, and Francois beat me. So what that means is the first three or six or eight times going to be play action. <laughs> well, I, I, that's how you can counter it. But my, more importantly, Florida State fans need to be patient. Because again, the first three or six or eight or ten times that Dalvin touches the football, he may only be picking up two or three or four yards at a time. It, it, you know, we we're, we're spoiled. We we expect that second touch to be like Clemson and go for well, eighty, and and that's probably just not going to be the case. So David Hale, who we've
1: had on this show before uh, from from ESPN.com, he is, he's the numbers guy. I mean, he's always. I don't know if he just lives in his mom's basement or and, and pulls these numbers and does a research. He prefers to be called Mr. Metric, thank you. He tweeted something yesterday, and I looked at it several times, and it astounded me every time, but it was rushing yards versus eight men in the box per attempt last year. And and I don't remember the precise numbers, but all the top running backs out there, so Fournette, McCaffrey, a couple others, it was three and a half to four yards. Dalvin was over seven yards per attempt versus eight men in the box, which just seemed absurd. But, I mean, he had so many long runs that the numbers obviously got inflated. Let me ask you this, because this has been talked about a lot too. Jimbo uh, will run his quarterback. Uh, doesn't coach afraid because once you start doing I mean, you, you, when I say that, afraid of injury, doesn't, you, you can't worry about it, you can't control it. Could we, would we see the option at all?
2: I don't think you see the option early. Uh, I, I, I'm talking once in the first half, once in the second half. You know? uh, maybe. Uh, if I had to say the over and under, and you told me two, I would say it's under, so it would only be one. I just don't think that, that he wants to put Francois in that position just yet. I think what he'd rather do is a three-step drop bubble screen, five-step drop uh, tight end drag over the middle, uh, do a full seven and then release to the right and flare the ball out to Dalvin. I think that's the way he would like to get Francois into the ball game. Now, having said that.
1: Maybe some design rollouts run pass
2: options. Exactly. Hopi. But having said that, the one thing I've learned about Jimbo and his play calling is, is, is you really can't pin him down. He could come out and run that daggum option eight times in the first quarter. I don't think he will but I wouldn't sit back and say that the the earth was spinning off its axis and hurling itself into the sun because he did it. Well, that's part of the reason
1: why it's so complex what he does. I mean, in some respects it's simplistic, but he wants to have an answer for everything. He wants to be versatile. Get your bingo card out, multiple bingo card, and and those sorts of things. All right, Uh, believe it or not, it's not just Florida State, Ole Miss this weekend. There's
2: actually other college football, not only other really good college football this weekend. Has there ever been a better opening slate of games? We'll talk about those when we come back, right here on the front row.
0: listening to The Front Row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at row at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: Just a few more minutes to wrap things up. A great edition of The Front Row again. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you tuned in late, uh, be sure to go back and listen to, to segment two in particular. Nothing against Tim; Tim was solid in segment three. Always, a, just an incredibly unique story involving uh, Travis Rudolph and, and what he did yesterday, sitting down at lunch with the autistic child Bo uh, Paskey. And we had uh, Leah Paskey, Bo's mom, on earlier, and uh, that was an enlightening uh, interview. Also, remind you by the way to if you don't already subscribe to the front row uh, on iTunes, rate us; that helps us out. Uh, or make da- me feel good. Download the uh, the WTSM app. Visit the website and uh, find our shows in the Audio Vault. Okay, college football this weekend. The top game list the slate. I mean, this well, is here's incredible. Here's what we're gonna list. do. Here's this what we're gonna do. List.
2: I'm gonna put you on the spot because I didn't bring the all. The, I, I'm gonna do the ACC, the ACC, and then let you do the national pitcher because I would also contend that this is the best opening weekend of ACC games that I that I've ever seen. You got three on Thursday night: Charlotte at Louisville, Tulane at Wake Forest, William and Mary at NC State. Not on the national pitcher, but you got three teams playing on Thursday night in the ACC.
1: Side on... note: Jimbo and FSU need to play that game at some point. I agree. It, you, you get an extra
2: two days prep for the next game. You get exactly. These, but yeah. Side no note: question. Go ahead. Saturday we go. We go almost international. We'll go to Dublin, Ireland, where Georgia Tech takes on Boston College. Uh, by How the way, is that? Almost international.
1: Is that not international? Well,
2: it's just one island over.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's another country. That would count as international. It's one
2: island over. <laughs> All right, go ahead. By the way, for those of you who are interested, ACC teams have opened two other times internationally, uh, both of the times in Tokyo, Japan. I did not know this till I looked it up. 1982, Wake Forest took on Clemson, and in 1991, Duke played Clemson. So Clemson has played twice in Tokyo in the opening games. Uh, continuing on Saturday, you've got North Carolina versus Georgia. That is an interesting ball game. Uh, it'll be played in Atlanta. And then you've got Clemson at Auburn. I think Clemson might beat Auburn by 28 points when everything is said and done. And then, of course, Monday night, FSU against Ole Miss in Orlando. Trivia question. When's the last time Florida State played Ole Miss?
1: 1961.
2: Correct-a-mundo. Ding, ding, that, ding, ding, huh? ding. Way to go great opening slate of just league games amazing
1: i'm gonna beg to differ here i think there's three headliners and a lot of duds there but the headliners are really good and a really a good chance for the acc to make some noise even by going to you're entitled to your own opinion well i think there's somebody tweeted there's like seven fcs opponents uh on that slate looking
2: at them as a group mr block now
1: I will not disagree that it's the best opening weekend slate in college football I can remember. Because outside of those games, you've got Alabama and USC, you've got Houston and Oklahoma, which is of note because if Houston wins that game, who else is going to beat them on the schedule? And they'll be in contention for a playoff spot. Uh, oh, and how can and I if they beat Oklahoma, one? that means Houston beat Florida State and Oklahoma back to back. I just forget. I just about forgot the LSU Wisconsin game. Boy, that would I would have been in the tropical storm See, over the next two days i would have been sleeping everybody's outside talking about that
2: game lsu lsu will probably win that game by three touchdowns there was, there was
1: a lot of social media activity talking about how that was the top two or that is the top two drinking fan bases in the country lsu fans have been there since tuesday but if there's anybody who can give them a run for their money it's wisconsin so no that, question i mean so should be interesting uh which game are you most interested in seeing out of those
2: Well, obviously Ole Miss, Florida State for ourselves, but I'm interested in the Alabama-USC game because can Alabama continue their dominance? I mean, they've won four national titles in the last seven years. USC, we don't see over here because they play on on the wrong coast, the West Coast. They are a much imp- – they were very it's good – It's almost international,
1: as a matter of fact. Oh, hush.
2: <laughs> they were very good to finish the year last year. I think they're going to be much better this year, USC. However, however, if, all, if Alabama goes in there and beats them handedly, holy moly.
1: I, yeah. Alabama I,
2: just resolidifies itself in the Big Four.
1: Yeah, and I, it's, I'm not going to be surprised if that happens. Could go either way. Honey, I'm most interested in watching the LSU-Wisconsin game this weekend. All right. That's Thanks it. for sharing. Yep. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week. Don't forget, Sunday at uh, 9 a.m. And uh, we'll be Wake Up Knowles when we'll have a more in-depth preview of FSU and Ole Miss. He's Keith. I'm Tom. So long, everybody.